you know, 850 million women have just entered or are about to enter menopause. That's globally. That's globally, yes. Okay, got it. Yeah. For many of them, it, it's an incredibly confusing, upsetting, and potentially enraging time of their lives because they need help and they don't really know where to go for help. You know, you can go on the internet and then you end up with a bag full of supplements that don't necessarily help you. And if you go to your doctor, they'll just be like, yeah, you know, it's just a couple of years, try maybe get a patch or try this lotion, but there's more that can be done. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that Alzheimer's disease targets the brain cells that help you stay awake. This is new research that just came out that finds that disordered sleeping isn't just an early indication of Alzheimer's, but trouble sleep is part of the disease, according to neuropathologists at UCSF. And these researchers looked at post-mortem brains, in other words, brains of dead people, uh, who died with Alzheimer's disease, and they looked at the brain stem and the hypothalamus and... These are parts of your brain that have jobs like keeping you awake and helping you pay attention. And they looked for tau, which is a protein that can form tangles inside of nerve cells. And they found that there were three small regions of the hypothalamus and brainstem that were packed with tau. And two of the three areas had lost over 70% of their neurons. And they think that may be why if you have daytime drowsiness, it could be an early sign of Alzheimer's disease, or maybe it's just lack of sleep. But there's probably a more of an association from that. And I had massive problems for much of my life with daytime sleepiness um, back when my biology didn't work right. Uh, and this is most likely an early sign of Alzheimer's. Uh, if you have one of those sleep problems that you just cannot hack, it doesn't mean that you are going to get Alzheimer's. It just means that if you're sleeping like crap for 40 or 50 or 60 years, you might expect a little bit more risk there, not to mention a risk of every other one of the diseases of aging that I wrote about in Superhuman. So you got to fix your sleep. And it's interesting that there's that interaction between Alzheimer's and sleep. Now you're probably asking yourself, oh, is this going to be an episode on Alzheimer's or an episode on sleep? Well, you'll have to find out. If you guessed that today's episode is going to be about Alzheimer's disease, you were right because today's guest is a neuroscientist and neuronutritionist and someone who has a degree in nuclear medicine as kind of just a little thing. Uh, and a recognized uh, contributor to the fields of brain science, the microbiome and nutritional genomics. We're talking about Dr. Lisa Moscone, who's the founder of the Women's Brain Initiative and associate director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic at the Weill Cornell Medical College in New York and an adjunct member of New York University's Department of Psychiatry. She's looked all into early detection of Alzheimer's disease. So we're gonna talk about brains, Alzheimer's disease, the gut and all sorts of cool stuff. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. You've published more than a hundred peer reviewed papers. That's pretty darn prolific and yeah, you, you've done a ton of research on this, and there's all kinds of directions you can go, especially when you have a, a strong background in imaging like you do. So you can actually look at people's brains, which I think yeah. is fascinating. Uh, and you started looking at food, and you published a, a book called Brain Food, The Surprising Science of Eating for Cognitive Power. And uh, that was your last book, and you have a new book out called you know, The XX Brain, looking at women's brains. I want to understand, how did you get into Alzheimer's disease? Because you could have gone in so many directions and I mean, microbiome and all this. It, it, it's sort of like this tangled mess of topics, but you ended up where you are now. How did you navigate that, that world of possibility to come up with a focus that you have today? So I've been looking into Alzheimer's disease ever since I was 18. And the reason being that uh, I was already studying neuroscience. So it was a university. I started a little bit earlier and I was studying neuroscience. And around that time, my grandmother started showing very clear signs of cognitive decline. I'm Italian. I'm from Italy. And our healthcare system is not the best, right? So there's no real support system for patients with Alzheimer's disease. They stay in the home 
pretty much forever. And so I experienced her decline in a very direct, fairly scary uh, way. And just a few years later, her two sisters also started showing exactly the same symptoms, whereas their brother did not. And so as a new scientist, my question was, why is that? Is there a connection between Alzheimer's disease and female sex, for example? Is it just my family that more women than men are affected? And am I at risk, right? What, What can I do? given my family history, to really make sure that I protect my brain. And when should I start and what should I do? And so from the very beginning, I, I started looking into Alzheimer's disease. And I, um, back then, very few people actually acknowledged the fact that um, Alzheimer's disease affects more women than men. We've known this since 1994, that about two-thirds of all Alzheimer's patients are women, So in other words, for every man suffering from Alzheimer's, there are two women. But for so long, people would just say, well, you know, women live longer than men and Alzheimer's is a disease of the old. So here you go, you know. Got it. So people were... People were basically uh, bad at science. It's missing the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's kind of a logical thing to say, but it's really underestimating the process and the problem and is also in part incorrect information. You can also very easily look at the age of onset and determine that it's not just an aging thing, but they didn't do it for the same reasons that most uh, most studies, if you go back 20, 30 years, they're done on white males. And so we kind of miss yes. women and oh, 51% of the population. Oh, and then all these people aren't white. So we're, we're fixing that in yes. science now. But it's confounding yeah. too because it turns out sometimes if you have dark skin or you know, you're know you not equipped with a penis, you might have completely different results. And so when you mix these people up, you have to start looking at these, not to mention looking at your gut bacteria, which might be different. You know, like it, 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 Science is hard, right? Science is hard, but I, I also think that we, we have an enormous gender bias oh, yeah. in medicine that is not really acknowledged. Like, it doesn't take a scientist to really denounce the fact that women's equality remains up for grabs in so many ways, financially, socially, uh, even physically. Um, but it does take a, science, a scientist to really explore how women are overlooked also in medicine. And this is something that... Other fields have been better at doing, like cardiology has done incredible work of really bringing gender medicine into the picture. And I think as neurologists or people who work in the brain uh, field, we should also be able to do the same like fast. One of the things that, that became really interesting to me was that Alzheimer's connection. When I wrote Headstrong, which is my book about mitochondria and the brain, um, which ended up uh, sandwiched on the the science bestseller list between uh, what were the books Sapiens and Homo Deus, two of my favorite books, and <laughs> I was a little meat in the gluten free sandwich there uh, on the list, which was a really happy day for me. But I, I got into Alzheimer's because a lot of the research about energetic production in the brain is Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and I read thousands of papers, and it became really clear: yeah, we do have a gender bias problem, and that women do get more of this, which led me to become. Uh, uh, at least Maria told me that I was the largest uh, individual private donor to the women's Alzheimer's movement. And Maria Shriver has been on the show. Uh, and uh, so I donated some 40 years of Zen sessions at auction and you know, some other, some other uh, financial things because I think it's such a big deal. My grandmother uh, is a nuclear engineer and she's 97-ish, maybe 98, something like that. Um, but you can see when she gets her uh, things that produce ketones, oh, like brain octane, her brain is much sharper. <laughs> and other times she's a little off sometimes. Uh, and it's probably um, in the spectrum of Alzheimer's, but I wouldn't say she fully has Alzheimer's because she's, you know, she's fine some of the time, but you know, she's getting there. Uh, also, it's impossible to get your grandmother to do anything nutritional. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Did you, did you experience that when your grandmother was get, having Alzheimer's? It was a little bit hard to... Com- patient compliance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All she wanted to eat was ice cream and prunes. Wow. It was really yes. Yeah, I, I, it still bothers me. My grandmother says I don't, I don't like fat, and she just said decided in 1970 or something she didn't like fat. So saying, how do you restore cell membranes in your brain if you won't ever eat fat? So you're like sneaking brain octane into whatever she's eating. So <laughs> it's funny. Um, 
so you got into Alzheimer's because you had a, a personal interest from your family in this, uh, and you went to school in Italy, and you said, all right, yeah. like I, I want to hack this. Do you know why? Like, Why is Alzheimer's uh, more, was it hitting more women's brains than men's brains? Hmm. There are many theories. There are many theories. And um, the fact that women live a little bit longer than men, of course, is not something that we should underestimate. But I think there are a lot more, um, there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. And all my research of the past 10 years has been focused on that. And what we have shown is that it's not just that women live longer, but it's more like that women tend to develop Alzheimer's earlier than men. So we have done a ton of brain imaging studies and we have shown two things. Number one, Alzheimer's disease is not a disease of old age, but rather the disease starts with negative changes in the brain years if not decades before any clinical symptoms emerge. So we're looking at midlife rather than when you're 70 or 80. And the second fact that we have shown is that women tend to develop these negative changes in their brains before men do, and specifically as women go through menopause. And that was a big finding. So does menopause cause Alzheimer's? <laughs> no. Oh, no. That would suck. It looks more... Oh, yeah. That, yeah <laughs> no, but it looks like so. there are a lot of changes that happen in a woman's body and brain as we go through menopause, changes that are not usually recognized as being neurological in nature. So we associate menopause with the ovaries. But when women say that they're having hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, depression, anxiety, memory lapses, those symptoms don't start in the ovaries. They start in the brain. They are neurological symptoms. We're just not used to thinking about them as such. Because of the hypothalamic connection and the control over those? Two major reasons. The first one being that the brain and the ovaries are connected via the neuroendocrine system. And this system is run by hormones. And we know that hormones differ between the genders. So men have more testosterone and women have more estrogens. But what really matters here is that these hormones differ in their longevity. So for men, men testosterone declines very gradually over time and usually doesn't run out until very late in life. And that's pretty much a slow and quite symptom-free process, right? Men can suffer from some irritability or reduce sex drive. Oh, okay, I, I'm going to have to stop you right there. Symptom-free. Have you ever seen the movie Grumpy Old Men? I have not. Okay, it's a famous movie. A lot of people listening have seen it. That is what testosterone deficiency looks like. It, it is a portrait of it. So you say it's symptom-free because you say, oh, it's just aging. No, if you give an older guy testosterone, they, they get their brain back. They get their zest for life back. So the, it's, it's not without symptoms. We just think the symptoms are aging, just the similar way that we think lots of diseases are aging. No, it's just testosterone deficiency. So you put a pellet in, give them some testosterone cream, and they get their lives back. Oh, absolutely. It's not to discount that at all. Okay. It's more like, like you said, grumpy old man. Yeah. Right. So it's something that happens later on in life. There you go. That was my point. You get the symptoms. We, we, don't, get, we don't hit menopause where we spend like five to nine years of hell, right? <laughs> yes. From a female perspective, estrogen declines quite rapidly in midlife. Yeah. Right when women are usually in their early fifties, and the decline is pretty sudden relative to testosterone. Also, it makes no sense to compare, if you will. The point mm -hmm. is that women go through menopause in midlife, and that calls for a reset of this neuroendocrine system, which is really important because we think of our sex hormones as involved in fertility and reproduction, but in reality, estrogen like testosterone really serves a number of functions in the brain that have nothing to do with having kids, but everything to do with having energy. So estrogen and estradiol in particular serves a number of functions that have everything to do for energy production in a woman's brain, yeah. as well as the immune system is stimulated by estradiol and neuroplasticity as well. But very importantly, estrogen is key for energy in the brain. So at a cellular level, 
estradiol literally pushes neurons to burn sugar or glucose to make energy. So if your estrogen is high, your brain energy is high. But when your estrogen declines, if you don't do something to compensate for that, your brain energy also declines in some way. So your neurons kind of slow down. And the problem is that they start aging faster. Mm -hmm. And research, including my own work, has shown that these declines in some women can even lead to the formation of Alzheimer's plaques. So when women are in their early 50s usually, but they can also be earlier because many women go through menopause earlier than age 50, very often because of medical interventions like a hysterectomy or an ophorectomy, which is the surgical removal of the uterus and or the ovaries. And when so many women have this procedure, it's almost one in eight American women that have the uterus and or ovaries removed. But the problem is that there is a connection between having these procedures and the higher risk of dementia later in life. Dementia or Alzheimer's or both? Both. Okay. That's fascinating. Yes. Now, in in the UK, because of the way medicine works there, where it's a, a public health system, they did some math and they have billions of dollars of lost productivity every year from menopause. And they're Mm -hmm. one of the countries funding research into menopause most heavily. And I know about this because my wife does work with women around fertility and is really looking at research on hormones and menopause. Mm -hmm. And one of the, she's a medical doctor, um, Karolinska Institute Mm -hmm. um, background. And what they discovered, and they're actually now doing in the UK, is that if you take a small amount of ovarian tissue out surgically when you're young, store it, you can implant it 20 years later and you put off menopause by 20 plus years. Would you Would you do that? Uh, I think I would wait until we have better confirmation that that is really valuable. But then your, your ovaries would be yeah, old. Yeah, not like, for should... me, not for me, maybe for my daughter. Or for yeah, yes. it, it, you're, you're ageless. I, I have no idea how old you are. You, you have great skin. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm not close to menopause at all, but, but they want to okay. prepare for it in a way that is as natural as possible. I think all women go through menopause, but there's a lot of diversity in the way that each woman experiences menopause, yeah. right? So like 20% of women have no symptoms whatsoever. Cognitive symptoms, mood symptoms, they're totally fine. Those are the lucky ones. Those are the lucky <laughs> ones, yes. And and then the other 80% of women have some symptoms ranging from hot flashes and night sweats all the way to a combination of things, including memory, memory changes and brain fog and attention issues and migraines. Oh my God, yes, migraines and headaches and increased risk of depression and anxiety. So there are there are many studies showing that these symptoms are at least in part related to your lifestyle and all the changes and all the choices that you make for yourself. So it's not just genetics, but you have some control over whether or not you'll be in the lucky 20% or at the other end of the spectrum. So for me, which is also why I wrote The XX Brain, it's really important that women of all ages really start engaging in prevention, not just Alzheimer's prevention, but also really doing everything that we can to support the health of our brains and maximize our cognitive health for the long term. I'm really happy that I got an advanced copy of the book so we could actually release this interview the day that your book hits shelves, which is really cool. So if you're caught up on Bulletproof Radio and you're listening to this the week it was released, uh, you can now purchase uh, the XX brain. And uh, if you're watching it after that, because you're, you're a little backed up on these two episodes a week, well, you'll be able to buy it then too. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, it's got a lot of good stuff in it specifically about what we're talking about. That's why we're talking about it. So uh, my, my wife is in menopause or, or she's perimenopause, you know, it, working on being in menopause, let's put it that way. And so, you know, she's looked at all kinds of research on this and you have other friends, you know, Sarah Gottfried knows a lot about hormones. Yes. Um, she's been on the show. She's uh, got a, a recommendation on the, the back of your book. Yes. And 
I'm looking at all this and what are the, the simple lifestyle things that women of any age can do that are going to reduce Alzheimer's risk? Mm-hmm. There are many. And I, I think that it's important to really focus on the research that looked at women in particular. So we have a lot of literature on lifestyle and uh, lifestyle effects on our brains. And then there's actual research done in women separately from men. And what's interesting is that the factors that really matter are somewhat different between men and women. Mm-hmm. And that's helpful because you can't do everything at once, right? Otherwise, you get overwhelmed and it's just too much and, and it's not sustainable. So I think what, what we all can do is to really take a good look at that lifestyle yeah. and choose a couple of things that you can do reliably and consistently over time that are known and scientifically proven to really matter for the health of your brain as a woman and as a man. Maybe you write the book about men. I got, I got <laughs> the women for now. Um, I think something that everybody's very interested in is diet. Yep. Right. We all eat three times a day, if not more than that, unless you're fasting. Or less and perhaps you're intermittent fasting. Come on. Three <laughs> times a day. That's so 1990s. Ugh. Oh, my goodness. I'm so <laughs> old fashioned. <laughs> but most people do still do. Of right? course. Of course. I'm yeah. just teasing. Mm-hmm. So diet is really important in so many ways. We know that there's a very direct connection between the nutrients that we choose to put into our bodies and the health of our brains for the short term and for the long term. And research in women's health has shown that some very specific nutrients are really important for women and for men as well. But the research really shows strong correlations between specific nutrients, especially antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E and women's brain energy levels. And what we know from the brain imaging studies, especially my studies, I guess, at this point, is that our brain energy levels can drop during the transition to menopause. Can I show you? I would love to see it. And as you're pulling that up, I uh, I run or own or founded, whatever you want to call it, a neuroscience uh, a facility that does five-day intense brain training with custom hardware and software, EEG-based stuff. In fact, uh, my lead neuroscientist is a former uh, nuclear submarine engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, we actually measure voltage changes uh, in the brain. And you can act, you really can pick up brain energy directly so I don't know what you're going to show me, but I'm hoping it's EEG or is it something else that's more like dye-based? What, what do you got for us? No, this, this is a technique. It's called positron emission tomography. Ooh, PET. Yes. All right. And this is what I do. So my background, like you said, is in nuclear medicine. And what we do is that we use tracers that go in the brain and mimic a specific physiological reaction. Like in this case, we're looking at brain glucose metabolism. All right. Brain. And this is a brain scan where um, very bright colors mean high brain energy levels. This is the way you want your brain to look like when you're in your 40s as a woman. So really nice and bright, a lot more red than green. And this brain here belongs to a woman who was 43 years old when we scanned her the first time before menopause. And now let me show you her brain just eight years later after menopause. All of the red, like the high energy areas in the prefrontal cortex, uh, it looks like. Yeah, it's prefrontal, parietotemporal, and posterior cingular cortex. So all the regions that are usually affected by memory loss and Alzheimer's. Wow. It's like looking at a different brain. The energy is just sucked out of it. Right. So it's the same shape, pretty much. You can see it's the same. Anatomically speaking, it's the same brain. But that's a 30% drop in brain energy levels that really occur during menopause. And this is not an isolated finding. This is like what the average woman looks like, at least in our hands. So for some women, the changes are very mild, but for some women, they're more severe than this. And what's interesting is that this is really correlated strongly with the decline from premenopause to perimenopause and then postmenopause. There's your energy levels drop. And that's for the reason we were discussing that estrogen is an energizing hormone. So as estrogen declines, your your brain reflects that, which I think is really important information to have because so many women can feel these changes and they really worry so much. Like so many of our patients have said to me that 
they're worried that they're going crazy. Yeah. But then they feel like their mind's playing tricks on them, to put it mildly. So it's so important, I think, that we're doing the studies because we're really, we're validating what women have been saying for centuries, right? That something is happening, that they need help overcoming, or, or even better, that they need help preparing for, because this is avoidable. In, in many, many cases, this is avoidable. Now, taking vitamin C and vitamin E and getting some sleep and not smoking, that's, that doesn't hack it for most women that I know who are dealing with these symptoms. Uh, it, it seems like they need a little more. Maybe some estrogen cream? Is, is that where we're going with this? Well, no. <laughs> okay. no actually, well, we, may, we, may, we may go there too. So hormonal replacement therapy is very complicated. Oh, yeah. I've had several episodes on it and uh, yes. I've written about it. Yeah, okay. Right. So as, as far as cognitive health is concerned, for many years, we thought that hormonal replacement therapy actually increased the risk of dementia, which is why we don't usually prescribe it. But recent evidence shows that there's a window of opportunity to really initiate hormonal therapy, which is prior to menopause or at Before. least... Before... Before menopause or within five years of menopause onset, where therapy does not have a negative effect on cognitive performance, but might actually make it better. So we're now trying to test with clinical trials a more accurate, more precise, and more thorough studies if that is indeed the case. So hopefully, soon enough, we'll be able to at least be able to offer this um, option to women who can tolerate it and for whom the treatment really works well. For everybody else, we're back to lifestyle because, yeah. you know, yeah, you can take vitamin C supplements or perhaps vitamin E supplements, but we also know that taking supplements sometimes is not as helpful as obtaining these nutrients from the diet in a consistent way over time. So taking nutrients, taking supplements for a couple of months may not be as effective as eating the right foods correctly for years. Or, right? or, so or not we, eating the wrong foods. That, uh, that uh, bucket yeah. of, yeah, the bucket of French fries every day is going to trump any other good foods you eat uh, or the, the bunch of sugar and all of that. Uh, which is missing from a lot of this. People say, oh, I ate the good stuff. I had my little kale salad, which wasn't good anyway. But then they cancel <laughs> it out with you know the Diet Coke and whatever else. Okay. You're right, but this is so true. It's so important to just look at your lifestyle as a whole. And if you eat a super healthy diet, but you're incredibly stressed out and can't sleep at night, there's only so, so much that broccoli can do for you. Mm -hmm. Right, because stress is a major issue, especially for women's brains. There's a lot of studies showing how uh, cortisol, which is the main stress hormone, can literally sink your estrogens. And that's because they work in balance. So if your cortisol goes up, your estrogen goes down. If your cortisol goes down, your estrogen goes back up to normal. It's called the pregnenolone steel. So it's really important to reduce stress. It doesn't just help your day. It also really helps your brain. And studies have shown, brain imaging studies have shown that this is particularly the case for women's brains. So women's brains seem to be more sensitive to long-term stress than men's brains, at least in midlife, and especially in connection with menopause. Women who are chronically stressed and they're having issues with menopause show higher rates of brain shrinkage as compared to women who are still going through menopause, but they're not as stressed out. So that's really important, not just for your brain, but for, for really overall health. It, it's, a, it's such a complex situation where people think they're doing things that are healthy for their brain, but they aren't doing things that are healthy for their brain. What do you recommend in the XX brain? So what, <laughs> what do you say women should do? Well, so there are many things that women can do. And my point was really to, to provide a sort of review of the literature and also say, there are, there's so much conflicting information out there. And it's really important to look at things that have been scientifically validated by means of rigorous research and, and really solid studies and start with those. And then, you know, tune it for yourself and just make sure that even if, even if a supplement is not proven in clinical trials to be effective, but it works for you, fantastic. The point is so many women don't know where to start. 
So my recommendation is to first really understand what's happening to you and to your brain and to your hormones. And then look at what science has shown so far that is really effective and proven to work and safe, right? Do you need to use HRT? Because for some women, hormonal therapy is actually a godsend. Oh, yeah. So many, so many really swear by it, but so many other women swear at it. <laughs> exactly. If you do it yeah, wrong, it doesn't work. Or even if you do it right, but your body just doesn't respond correctly. And I think a major problem we have in the field is that we can measure our hormones in blood. And even those tests are not that great, but we can't measure it in our brains. So that's a major issue for clinicians because you need to dose the hormones to work inside your brain. There is no correlation between hormones in blood and hormones in brain. They're almost two separate symptoms, systems that talk to each other, but the amount of hormones and um, their activity in brain is not the same as the hormones in the rest of your body. So we need to have tools that allow us as clinicians to go into a woman's brain yeah. and measure that woman's hormones to really find the right dose for that particular woman's brain and understand, are your receptors still working? Are they still using the estrogen? Because if they're closed, if it's too late for you, then there's no point initiating this. There may be no point initiating the therapy for the brain symptoms, and we should look at something else. But if you are in a good position to respond to therapy, then let's dose it correctly, let's do it correctly, let's time it correctly based on your own brain. And this is something that we are doing now. So this is a tool that we're developing, also thanks to Maria Shriver, who's funding part of the research. So yay for Maria and the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. It's a really big angle that I think is, is missing. It's that, look, all women know at a certain point, wow, menopause, it's either wrecked me for a while or really affected my quality of life or the people around me if they're one of the 20%. And not that many people yet know that women get Alzheimer's more than men, although uh, Maria's work has really helped to escalate that okay. message. So we're all starting to know, oh, this is actually a problem for everyone, but it's more of a problem for women, yes. uh, which also makes it uh, a problem for the people who care about the women too. So it's a human problem. It's a problem yes and women yeah. are more likely you know to be caregivers to somebody else with dementia as well so we really need to make sure that everybody receives the best possible health care for them it it is it is about health care but you're you're saying something that look anyone who's dealing with the hard parts of uh, perimenopause <laughs> they'll do almost anything to feel better yeah. because like i said they feel like they're going crazy you know they're they're actually physically in pain and and it's it can be a miserable experience. It doesn't have to be, but for some people it is until they really get on top of it. But if we all were to acknowledge, oh, this increases your risks later in life, it increases the urgency of it. So instead of saying, oh, it's just something I'll just, you know, I'll just kind of feel miserable for a while and get through it, that that isn't an adequate response, that, that it's actually a, a more urgent situation if you're dealing with severe symptoms that you've got to figure out what it is because if you don't figure out what it is they're costing your brain later in life and that is a message that i haven't seen anywhere out there and that's work that you're pioneering uh, and that's why i like the xx brand thank you and it, it is so important and um you know 850 million women have just entered or are about to enter menopause it's it's a huge amount to women and for many of that's them globally. that's globally yes Okay, yes, got it, yeah. And yes, and for many of them, it, it's an incredibly confusing, upsetting, and potentially enraging time of their life because <laughs> they need help and they don't really know where to go for help. You know, you can go on the internet and then you end up with a bag full of supplements that don't necessarily help you. And if you go to your doctor, they'll just be like, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just a couple of years, try maybe get a patch or try this lotion. But there's more that can be done. Or, or let's let's take out let's take out your ovaries. That'll think, fix it. Yes. Oh my god, <laughs> that's the thing that it's incredible to me because I work in the in, in urology, and we know that having the ovaries removed can increase risk of Alzheimer's up to seventy percent. Wow. Yes, and I totally understand if you remove your ovaries because you have a strong like cancer, yeah, ovarian of cancer. Of course, you have to know that totally. 
But the number one reason to have the uterus removed with the ovary is fibroids. Mm-hmm. I mean, there has to be a better way to address fibroids than just getting rid of everything. And also, I was reading that I was talking to my colleagues in gynecology. You you would just need to take the uterus out, right, for fibroids. You don't necessarily need to take the ovaries out, but sometimes you just do all of, all at once, just because it's easier. Mm-hmm. And maybe these women are more like, they don't want to have kids anymore. And so the doctor is like, shall we just do a full hysterectomy? But that doesn't take into account the fact that these are not, you know, they're not things that you can just get get rid of easily. They're connected with the body. They have a strong interaction with your body. It's a whole system in place that has been disrupted. So, and, you know, I'm not saying that women should decline these procedures at all. Of course, it's more... The fact that we need to better understand what happens. I'll, I'll say it. If it's not medically necessary, don't do it. Women are not baby making machines. It's like, oh, you're done with you're, you're done with that usefulness. Let's just rip out those parts that aren't useful. Like, make a considered medical decision. And if you're in you know serious pain, you have fibroids that don't respond to nutritional intervention and antifungals and ozone therapy and all the mitochondrial things that usually work. And if they don't respond to hormone therapy, fine. Then you made a medical decision. But if you just do it because it was convenient, it's because you didn't you didn't know, right? And if you've already done it, fine. Take your hormones. You'll probably be okay. But if you haven't done it, now you know. But no, make sure it's medically necessary, not convenient. And I wouldn't blame it on the women necessarily. I think it's just that the information is not out there. No, there, there's no blame here. It, it's a, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you have the information, use it. If you don't use it, you're going to do what your doctor says, and then you got to blame it on the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a there's an educational component here that is missing, right? So neurology doesn't speak yeah. to gynecology. Gynecology doesn't know anything about Alzheimer's disease. So I think as, as scientists and doctors, we need to be better at talking to each other and really, for me personally, yeah. I work at the intersection between neurology, neuroscience, and women's health. But there aren't that many people who do this kind of work. And so it's really important that the information is out there so that doctors, gynecologists, or surgery, you know, surgeons can really be informed yeah. about the brain research and be able to provide um, better, perhaps, advice to their patients and really be able to inform the patients about their risks because eventually it should be up to us to decide do I want to take this risk or not? And if I do take the risk that way with a medical intervention, how do I offset or how do I minimize other risks that can happen to me down the line, perhaps through my lifestyle? or something else, or taking hormones after surgery, which is a very viable option and very important as well to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's, especially for premenopausal women. It's a puzzle. This still needs to be in. Yeah. It's systems medicine. It's functional medicine. It, it's all coming together where we're looking at this network. Right. And if all you look at is you know the, the urinary tract and, and you're just there, you're not going to know, oh, that changed the brain 25 years from now. Uh, until you listen to this episode or you see a study and you realize, oh, it's time to evolve medicine, even though it's not what I learned in medical school. Um, what are the what are the lab tests that you look for? Because uh, you do blood work, cognitive testing, genetics, yes. brain scans. Yes. I mean, what is this, $10,000 worth of testing per woman? More. How does that work? It's more. And it's ah. actually all coming out of my own research funds. So I'm pretty much okay. applying for grants all the time. But it's so wonderful and it's so rewarding in all our patients say that it's incredibly important information to them. So that that's... But, but now, th- there's a lot of people listening. <laughs> uh, no. Oh, we <laughs> like, don't charge. I pay for everything. Yeah, you don't, you don't charge, but you, you, have how, you have a few number of patients because you're doing this for research grants. Yeah. But there's people listening saying, all right, I am desperate. I feel like I'm losing my brain and I don't want to get Alzheimer's. What, given that we don't have certainty but we have directional accuracy. What are the most likely blood work tests that I can order for 500 bucks right now they are gonna tell me what to do? What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. 
The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. What are the most likely blood work tests that I can order for 500 bucks right now? They're going to tell me what to do. <laughs> uh, so, well, then um, there are no blood tests for Alzheimer's. But there are blood tests for hormones, right? There are blood, well, yes. I also don't think you need them to, to know if you are in menopause or not. In yeah, fact, you'll know it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't need a blood test to really tell yeah. you. I mean, you. You can probably find out in different ways, unless you have medical conditions that make it hard to really know if it's perimenopause, if it's a polycystic ovarian system, you know, if it's something else. Okay. So blood tests could be helpful. They're not necessarily the most helpful of tests. I think a very thorough medical evaluation done by a specialist is perhaps the best way to invest your money. What, what kind of specialist? It depends on what you're concerned about. Okay, so a woman's either entering uh, perimenopause or in the middle of perimenopause and doesn't want to get Alzheimer's disease. What does she do? Alzheimer's disease, then you should come to us. I think. <laughs> okay. And we're, because we're very specialized and not a lot of centers offer this kind of support. So we're, we're open to enrollment. Okay, but there's, there's a quarter million people listening to this episode. Is your office big enough? And do, do you include airfare for them to get there? Because a lot of them can't no. afford it. Like, like, what do you what do you do? How do we take what you're doing in the lab and make it somewhat actionable now? Because right now we just keep doing pizza and beer and hoping we get better later, and it doesn't work. So we already know pizza and beer are probably poor choices. So uh, we can take those out, but there's got to be some nuggets that we can take and say these are likely, but not yet proven to be the good steps you could take to reduce your risk. Like, give me three, give me three nuggets. I'll give you three nuggets. Uh, they do not require okay. testing, though, because testing is a little bit expensive. But um, I would say if, if you do want to talk to a medical professional, then look for somebody who specializes in Alzheimer's prevention. Okay. There are more and more clinics around the United States. We are based in New York City. We are the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic at Wild Cornet Medicine. There are clinics in California. There's one clinic in Kansas. There are more clinics, and I have a list at the end of the book in the appendix. So that could be a good first step to really enroll in an Alzheimer's prevention program. If it's more about doing things at home, then what I usually mention is this saying in Latin, which is mens sana in corpore sano, which means a healthy mind in a healthy body. Mm -hmm. and if you take just the first eight letters, mens sana, that gives you a breakdown of all the things you can actually do. So M for mental stimulation. Okay. I know that your audience doesn't need to be reminded of that, but really keeping your brain intellectually stimulated is very important, especially in terms of learning. Learning is to your brain what exercise is for your muscles. So your neurons become stronger the more you activate them and the more you stimulate them to form connections. So if you are great at chess, Playing more chess won't help you as much as starting, if you start playing bridge. You need to challenge yourself intellectually. If you like to watch movies, then perhaps watch a documentary or a TED Talk where you're learning something. So that would be my number one thing that everybody can do. Number two for E, for men's, M-E-N-S, E would be exercise. Exercise is really important, and we know that women tend to exercise less than men, and very often it's because we don't have time. However, research is showing that exercise can reduce risk of Alzheimer's disease substantially and perhaps even more in women than in men, probably because we don't exercise as much as men to start with. So everybody needs to find some way to keep their bodies moving because that also stimulates the brain and supports hormonal production in the body and the brain. Then there's nutrition diet and nutrition. And for women, we were just start, starting to talk about it, but eating a diet that is high in fiber seems to be incredibly important, not just because it, it supports digestion and regularity, but also because it really stabilizes the levels of the sex hormone binding globulin, which is this molecule that in turn 
um, stabilizes estrogen levels in blood. So it helps you in your hormonal health. By the way, people who go, including women and men, who go on the the dirty keto diet, I'm going to call it. This is the unending <laughs> keto where he's like, well, as long as it's not a carb, I'll eat it. Uh, <laughs> uh, or even to a large extent, paleo, you're not eating enough vegetables, you're not getting enough fiber, and it's really common to see SHBG levels go up. So that means, oh yeah, I have testosterone, but it's all bound up, or I have estrogen, but it's bound up, so it's not available. And the cure for that, pretty obviously, like you're saying, eat more fiber. So more you could fiber. say- I'm going to eat even more broccoli, except that you can't get broccoli at a restaurant. You say, I want two pounds of broccoli. They're going to charge you $80 and they're going to deep fry it. Like it just, it just doesn't work. But don't go to the restaurant. Just do it yourself. Yeah, but we, we travel, you know, we, we work and. They're fiber supplements. That's what I started doing. I actually made one. It's called Inner Fuel. Oh. It's a bulletproof one. And I take 80 grams of soluble fiber every day. And in Superhuman, I show the research on not just Alzheimer's, but every disease of aging. Feed your gut bacteria. Yeah. Get rid of lipopolysaccharides by, by using fiber. Like It's normal. It's just missing from your diet. So if you're keto, you can take that stuff. If you're paleo, you can take that stuff. And if you're just a, on a normal diet, you still should use a fiber supplement. But tell me. Soluble, which is what I like, versus insoluble, yeah. the Metamucil sawdust kind of side of things. Which one is more important or what, what's your oh, thought there? Oh, I think both. I think both are really important. I think it depends on what you want to do. Like for hormonal regulation, okay. I think soluble, like you said, is really important. But insoluble is also helpful to really improve digestion. As long as it's not too rough on, on the gut. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, it's very unlikely that the problem is having too much fiber. I think if you take the supplements, it's good that you're going soluble as well because it's more gentle on the stomach. Yeah. There's there's issues with psyllium, which is the most common type of insoluble fiber. And there's studies that show it, it's too rough on the digestive tract. It gets caught in little folds and, and things like that. So that's one that I don't recommend, even though it's in a lot of supplements, especially the, the cheaper ones. Um, but if you're eating if you're eating broccoli and all, you're getting insoluble fiber, right? You get a lot of that. It's really hard to find a good fiber supplement. Like I was looking in the store, I went to like three different health food stores, and it's very limited. They're almost all junk. I, I only make stuff I can't buy, <laughs> so that's why Inner Fuel is. I, I put it in my bulletproof coffee. I get half of my day's fiber in the morning in my coffee, and you can't taste it. And so that's been something that tripled almost the number of gut bacteria species in my gut when I measured it before and after taking uh, Interfuel. And I, I put the data in the book because, I mean, you've looked at microbiome, you know, species diversity, number of species yeah. is an important variable. Important. And robust. And I, I'm looking for things that are actually doable for most of us because, yeah. you know, going to your clinic as if people are in your area or they can fly in for it. Um, by the way, where is your clinic? It's on the Upper East Side, Upper East on Side. 72nd Street in New York. Okay, so got it. So if you go to New York, enroll <laughs> in the study. That's like, uh, that's amazing. Well, so that, yeah. So if you had the opportunity, I, so this is what happened to me as a scientist. We need to have grants in order to do the research. And for many years, I would apply for grants and get rejected, 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 because I was looking at women's brains. Right. And then just recently, all of a sudden, it's becoming a knowledge that we we have a problem and I got like 10 grants all at once. And I, I keep saying, this is never happening again. <laughs> so we have this money, we can help so many women. If you can come to us and we'll help you and no cost to you other than coming to New York City. And you get brain scans, you have professional reads and it's cool actually to see your own brain. I think it's a really nice oh, it's thing. Super, it, it's super empowering. Yes, no, it's wonderful. And, and yes, Sarah Gottfried is in the study and she's just the coolest. She was in the MRI machine and I was like, I'm going to take a picture of you, just do some yoga poses. <laughs> she said, doing all these crazy things and everybody was, was absolutely in love. Uh, that sounds like Sarah so yes. much. Uh, and yeah, I was going to say, why don't you come and, and do a brain scan? We have meant. Oh, Oh, okay. Next time I'm in New York, I'll I'll totally do it. Please, because we we just start. I also, I mean, I really it's important to me to clarify that it's not just about women. We care about our male patients and research participants just as much, and we need to understand what happens to them as well. You know, because the other third of the Alzheimer's population is male, 
So what we really want to understand is, is what kind of risk factors are most important for men and for women and how we can best help everyone. So we also have a whole thing for men. I imagine that the, that the microbiome and the hormone picture is going to be very different uh, in Alzheimer's for men and women, but it is ultimately, I mean, Dale Bredesen's been on, on Bulletproof Radio. You know, ultimately, there are toxins that affect men and women and our brains, things like heavy metals, uh, mold toxins, uh, pesticides, and, you know, metabolic dysfunction. Uh, so I, I would love to have my brain scanned. Yeah. I'm, I will absolutely come in and do it. And the first time I had my brain scanned in my, my 20s, I thought maybe I was going crazy or maybe I'm just not as, you know, as, as intelligent as I thought mm. I was. Uh, and when I got uh, one of Daniel Amen's spec scans, this is 20, 20, 22 something years ago, I really, I looked at the brain scan and it had these big holes of you know, lack of activity in it. And then I said, oh, I have a hardware problem. I can fix that. Before, I just thought it was a like a, a deficiency in my my effort or my willpower. Mm. And for people listening who, okay, you're saying, I, you know, I'm going through menopause or maybe my partner is. Uh, look, it, it actually is a hardware problem <laughs> and it's something that's hackable. But if you're like, oh, it's, they're just not, they're not trying hard enough. It's not that. And, and blaming fat people for being lazy is wrong. It's a metabolic disorder. I can tell you as a 300 pounder, I used to blame myself. No. Uh, and, uh, and blaming people who have uh, brain problems uh, for being lazy or dysfunctional or whatever. Absolutely. It's not how it works. No. So seeing, seeing the image solves it right away. This first yeah. second you see your brain go, oh, uh, it, it throws a light switch in your brain. And then all of a sudden, now it's just a problem to solve just like a broken leg. And it's very liberating to do that. So I'll absolutely come in and see what's going on. Now, how do you, how do, for a PET scan, yeah. I don't know what contrast dyes you use. Is this like a radioactive tag sugar or is it gadolinium? What do you use? Uh, yes, so we do different types of brain scan and actually we do one that you would be very interested in it's um we do mris as well magnetic okay. resonance imaging uh we do seven different sequences and one is petroscopy so we look at mitochondria in the brain which oh, is, that gets me all excited it, i'm sorry so that gets me all excited oh, i love mitochondria in the brain yeah so one of the major challenges that we've been having in neuroscience is that there are very few techniques that allow measurement of mitochondria activity in the brain. Yeah. Right. So this one is one of the very few that actually works. And we just started doing it a year and a half ago. We're one of the few centers that um, do that. And the data is, is fantastic. I'm really excited about it. So that is completely without contrasts. There are no contrast agents. You're just sitting in the machine and we switch the coil from hydrogen to phosphorus, 31, and then allows us to measure ATP production, so energy production. Wow. Yes, directly from the mitochondria. You get these beautiful three-dimensional maps of ATP production inside your head. And it takes 20 minutes, it's totally safe. I want to do one in a fasted state, and then I want to do one on, I have a sweetener I use called MitoSweet. Mm. Uh, that I formulated for Bulletproof, plus all the mitohacking supplements uh, like Keto Prime and Unfair Advantage. I want to take all of those and do it and just <laughs> see if I can melt the machine with my mitochondrial activity. That, that's, that's my goal. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, what fun toys you have yeah. uh, out oh, well, there in New do. York. I, I think it's actually fantastic. We have a fantastic uh, radiochemistry department. That's why I moved to Cornell. And then we do the PET scans where we okay. actually use uh, radioactive tracers. But it sounds scary, but it's, it's really a minimal amount of fluorine 18 as they compound. Okay. And we also look at Alzheimer's plaques in the brain. So this is the, the new thing that we've been doing, that you can be 40 years old and we can already see if you have Alzheimer's plaques in your head by looking at your brain. And we I just got funding to repeat all these evaluations over time. Wow. So we're going to be able to get a really good baseline on all our participants, we, ha we have hundreds already. We have fundings for a lot more. And we're going to then repeat all the evaluations over time for as long as I have funding. And well, it's, it's likely that there are a few people listening to the show um, who are interested in, in the work you're doing, even to the extent of funding it. Um, I've been uh, continuously surprised uh, and, and grateful uh, sometimes when, when people who are um, you know, from 
very influential family offices say, oh, I listened to your show. I'm like, are you seriously? Wow, th- thanks. So per- perhaps there's someone who's you know dealing with this, either menopause or Alzheimer's or both in their family, um, who's in a position to be a donor. Wouldn't surprise me. And uh, I mean, Maria Shriver backs your work and I certainly back Maria Shriver yeah. uh, and her uh, women's Alzheimer's movement, which I was it the women's Alzheimer's movement who funded the research directly. Okay, beautiful. Yes, and... Yeah, directly. And we're funded by the National Institute on Aging, the National Institute on Health, and the Cute Alzheimer's Fund, and CTSC. So it's 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 serious. It's very serious wow. research. Um, this is world-changing, yeah, so like, like cracking the, the code of what it means to be human, and it's it's at the core of core of what biohacking is. <laughs> so I'm I'm really I'm yeah, I'm excited no about way. it. <laughs> yeah, I have another question for you, and. It, it has more to do not just with Alzheimer's, and, and I'm going to preface this. In in superhuman, there are four big killers of, of people. If you just look at statistics, what's, what's going to take you out if you live a long time and you don't get by a, a truck or something? It's cardiovascular disease, cancer, okay. diabetes, which is a precursor to everything, and Alzheimer's disease. So pretty much you avoid right. diabetes, you're going to reduce your risk of everything else, and then you... Uh, you avoid your, you lower your risk of, of all of those things. You have a much greater chance of at least having a good health span and maybe then you do some lifespan things. Yes. Um, so given that you know so much and you can look at your brain and hormones and you have unlimited access to the coolest toys you can think of and you have all this expertise, <laughs> how long do you think you can live? Oh my God. Oh, I'm Italian. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's never I've died to an Italian. You'll see me like completely panic. You're going to jinx it and... <laughs> Um, but just pick a really big number, then you can't jinx it. Uh, no, 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 no. That is jinxing. <laughs> no, no. Is it jinxing? You don't have to answer it if you don't want to. I, I really don't know. I'm doing everything I can to be as healthy as I can possibly be. And you know, it's interesting. I haven't seen my brain yet because I was too young to be part of oh, any wow. of my protocols. So now I'm actually old enough that I'm going to get my brain scanned in a couple of months. I'm fascinated by our whole conversation here and just looking at the long-term Alzheimer's risks of hormonal fluctuations in midlife. Um, you're the first person I've ever talked to, and I talked to a lot of people um, who's who's done research on this and called it out, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're doing that work because the effects that are 10 and 20 and 30 years down the line are the hardest of all things to detect and to measure and to track, and you're successfully doing that. So thank you for uh, just going out there, raising the funding, uh, doing the work. Uh, it's uh, it's very meaningful what you're doing. Thank you so much. I, I really, I put my heart and soul in, in the research and I really believe that it's important. It it definitely shows. And it shows in your book too. Uh, the XX yes. Brain is what it's called. Uh, people can find it at lisamosconi.com. That's L-I-S-A-M-O-S-C-O-N-I.com. Uh, and I, I would say, Seriously, read this book. If you're saying, I don't have to worry about menopause, I'm still young, you're going to learn some things that you want to learn now so that you will never have to worry about it. If you're dealing with menopause and perimenopause right now, you're probably not liking it and there's some things in the book for you. Uh, and if and if you are with someone who is uh, likely or is afflicted (laughs) with the symptoms of perimenopause, um, this is a book worth reading because yeah. it's it, it shows that it's worth getting on top of now and you know being patient and seeing what happens isn't a good strategy. Uh, so thanks for highlighting that and writing a really good book about it. Uh, and I, if you are in a position to fund things like this, this is work worth funding. And I'm sure there's information on Lisa's website for that. Anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to tell people listening to the show? Uh, I would just like to say that brain health is women's health. And that we really need to take care of our brains as well. I have so many friends who are like, I just don't have time for me. I have to work. I have my family. I have my kids. I have my husband. I have my parents. I have everything else going on in my life. And and me, I am just not a priority at this point. And we really need to make sure that we are also part of the picture. Because so many women just lose themselves in in everything else that is going on. And I, I find... I don't know if, if you noticed that too, but women are incredibly generous in that way, almost too too easily making a sacrifice in some ways, right? That just put everybody else before me and then I'll get a health issue and then I don't know what to yeah. do. So it's really but important it's, to to take care of ourselves as well 
And our brains are really one of our most important assets. And the best way to engage in prevention is now. It's never too late to start, but the sooner we start doing it, the better. All right. right. Keep doing what you do. Thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Have a beautiful day. Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.